Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Ohio State's uh, or Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast for Ohio State football and Ohio State sports. Uh, I'm Josh Dooley, and today I am joined by uh, our commander in chief, Matt Tamanini. Um, he's stepping in for Gene today. Gene's got some uh, prior obligations, and we're coming to you this morning on a Sunday to recap Ohio State's 59 to 7 victory over the Akron Zips. Matt, uh, first and foremost, welcome to the show. Thanks for filling in. And uh, as the guest, man, uh, what'd you think of that? What are your feelings in general from uh, about what we saw last night? Uh, I got to tell you, I enjoy those type of games a lot more than the type of games that we've seen in the first three weeks. Uh, I can tell you that uh, I often complain about how Ohio State games aren't a lot of fun. Uh, because really since the Trestle era, even in wins, which there have been a ton of them, obviously, whether that was Trestle, Meyer, or now Day, tons of wins, not a lot of fun. Um, but this one, uh, after that first, I don't know, what, half of a quarter, um, was a lot more entertaining. Now, I don't know that I would want these garbage time wins uh, every game, I want a little bit of suspense at times, but after the first three weeks of the season that we had, seeing Ohio State put up 622 yards versus 229 total yards and winning by uh, 52 points was a much-needed balm that I think that uh, I and the rest of the fan base desperately, desperately needed. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. It it was fun to see the Buckeyes play like the Buckeyes and dominate an opponent mm-hmm. that we all felt that they would... Uh, that they would dominate and see a bunch of young guys in there. And really in the beginning of the game, the thing that I was pleased with is we, we saw a different lineup out there, right? Cam Martinez started, Cody Mm -hmm. Simon started. Those are a few of the guys that we've been talking about recently wanting to see on the field more, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And they rotated obviously, and they were, able to do so against a team like Akron, but they stuck with a a core group. I felt like in the beginning of the game while they were putting up points and, you know, kind of trying to figure out Akron's quarterback, uh, DJ Irons, they kept the guys out there who had really performed, I feel the best. And so I was happy to see that from the defense and then, you know, offensively, Kyle McCord, we'll get into that, looked fine, all that good stuff. And uh, but I think before we kind of transition into the game and, and go over what we saw, I, you know, elephant in the room, Matt, Kayvon Pope, the situation that happened last night, yeah. uh, uh, apparently tried to get on the field for a substitution. He was waved off. He got upset. And we don't have all the facts and details yet. Ryan Day did not get into it in detail, but for all intents and purposes, was upset that he couldn't get in there. And uh, sort of stormed off. And C.J. Barnett, who's now with the team as a staffer, tried to bring him back. Uh, Another maybe argument ensued, or there was a conversation with Ryan Day and Al Washington, I believe. And then Kayvon Pope left. He was out the tunnel, sent out some tweets after the game. Uh, Again, I'll turn it over to you as sort of the guest here. Where are you at on this whole Kayvon Pope thing, if anywhere? And, And what do you think happened not even last night, but what do you think has been going on this season with some of the guys and being upset about their playing time and so on and so forth? You know, I, I'm, I've got a lot of thoughts about this and people didn't like my initial take on uh, the Lane Garrett Twitter account. Um, immediately. Some did, some didn't, but like, look, 
these are all young men, despite the pressure that we put on them. And we, I mean, as Ohio State fans, we assign like so much of our identity and so much of our fall happiness to how these 18 to 23 year old young men perform on a football field. And that is a ton of pressure. Then you add on the pressure that for so many of these guys, they have been the best athletes, the best football players um, in their towns, in their schools since they were like eight And so much of their identity is about being a football player. And so much of their future and their dreams is about being a football player. When Kayvon Pope came to Ohio State, he expected that he was going to be a star. He probably thought he'd already be in the NFL by now. He thought he'd already be a millionaire by now. And these guys come in with so much pressure and stress, and they are expected to be perfect on the field, off the field. They can't screw up because they know as soon as they do, those dreams that they've had since they were kids could disappear. Last night, Kayvon Pope was not perfect. He made some very obvious mistakes, whether it was leaving the field, getting in the fights with the coaches, taking off his gloves, taking off his jersey, sending those tweets. He made mistakes. I've been his age. Um, I've made mistakes, not necessarily those exact mistakes, but I would be horrified if those happened in front of hundreds of thousands. Well, not hundreds because there wasn't 100,000 people there, but, you know, 90 something thousand people in a stadium, dozens of reporters and were were caught on national television. And then millions of people were talking about them on social media. Granted, social media didn't really exist when I was his age, but um, I, I. I feel bad for the kid. I mean, he screwed up, but you can have sympathy for somebody who screws up and is emotional in what very well could be the worst moment of of his life or one of them. I think last night was the culmination of three plus years of Pope being frustrated. He's only had um, 19 tackles in his entire career. He, he, he played one game his freshman year, six games his sophomore year. He only played in two games last year, and he's, this, he's only played in two games this year. Granted, he's had some injury issues throughout his career, but like I think he kind of thought that this was going to be the year that he had the opportunity to play. Now, I don't know what's happened between him and the coaches, what the coaches have told him, where they where they have said that he was um, you know, lining up in, in the depth chart, but... I just feel for the kid who probably is, you know, finally realizing that, oh, shit, the life that I've dreamed for myself isn't going to happen, at least not here. And I'm going to have to do something different to to get to where I thought I was going to be. And that still might not happen. So in a, in, a, in a moment where for all intents and purposes, a lot of his dreams could have been crashing down. And I don't know what's going on in this guy's head. So I'm just making assumptions. I just feel, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for, for everybody. Again, I'm not excusing what he did. What he did was dumb and selfish and, and reckless and damaging and, and, um, and immature. I totally get that. And I totally agree. But it's just sad. Like, you know, everything about it is sad, especially we've seen Dallas Gantt leave recently. Like, you just feel bad. You have to feel bad for other human beings who haven't had things go their way. And it it doesn't mean that they get carte blanche to do whatever they want. They still have to behave like human beings and adults and and, and mature people and and do things the right way. But uh, I've just got I've just got sympathy for him. And and I hope that wherever he ends up, because I. 
I mean, I, I guess he could come back to Ohio State, but I seriously doubt that. Um, I, I hope that he's able to kind of rebound from this. And I just hate the idea that this will always be a part of who he is. I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, for a lot of people, you hear the name Kayvon Pope in 10 years. This is what you're going to think about. Um, and I don't and I don't know why he hasn't gotten onto the field over the years. I know you and Gene have talked about it in the past. We've talked about it uh, at Land Grant Holy Land for years now. The linebacking position has been pretty bad over the last few years um, at Ohio State, and it's gotten better at times. But seeing guys like Tuff Borland and Tommy Eichenberg play over you, uh, for someone who is you know supposedly as, as athletically talented as Kayvon Pope, I, I can understand why that would be frustrating. Um, but I don't know if maybe he doesn't practice well. Maybe the temper we saw from him last last night um, is part of the reason why he hasn't been on the field much. I, I don't know. But uh, I, I just I feel bad for him um, because clearly what he envisioned for himself is not going to happen. I don't think it impacts Ohio State all that much other than the fact that they've now lost two veteran linebackers. So it hurts their depth. I mean – Whatever. I mean, I guess that's a big deal um, if if things continue to happen where Ohio State has guys who are hurt. I, but I don't think it hurts the team. Um, but just on a human level, I, I I I've got some sympathy for the for the kid himself. Yeah, I think that like when you started to see things on social media and sort of read about it, my first thought was it's like this kid got fired. If you've ever been fired from a job, totally that sucks, right? Yeah. Like. You, you go to work day in and day out and you think that this is going to be your career. You're going to be with this company. This company in this instance is Ohio State football. And he essentially got fired. Now, it, it seems as if he got fired for cause or, you know, however <laughs> you want to sit there and describe it. Um, yeah. you, you said it. Is this temper indicative of why he has not been on the field? Maybe. We, but I think it's a distinct possibility that maybe emotionally he is not where he needs to be as, you know, a fourth year football player in this program. But I, I feel bad for him too. It's like I said, this kid got fired from his job and now he's got to start over and look for the next opportunity if there is one. And he's going to be remembered for this. That is the worst thing of it all is you quit on your team yeah. mid game you quit on your guys mid game and look he's going to have friendships that maybe last a lifetime from this team but a lot of guys they're out on Kayvon Pope right now you quit on us mid game I don't care how upset you were I don't care how frustrated and angry you were you quit on us so he's going to have to carry that burden but I, I at the same time I hope he finds that next opportunity wherever it is I I wouldn't be upset if he comes back. If there's a, a conversation today between he and the coaching staff and his parents and every, you know, and hey, we're going to try and figure this thing out. It doesn't mean that he's going to get on the field. I, I don't think that Ryan Day is playing those games ever. No. But I, I, will, yeah. I will say, though, I mean, Marcus Hooker played last night. I did yeah. not. I did not think, you know, a few months ago that we would ever see him in a, in a scarlet and gray jersey again. I mean, this is a guy who's had two, you know, substance-related in, interactions with the law. I thought he'd be gone. The fact that Ryan Day kept him on the team 
says a lot about Ryan Day, but also Marcus Hooker, too. The fact that he wanted to stay and didn't bolt to go somewhere else. So anything's possible. And and I think that says a lot about Ryan Day that I like. I mean, that's a positive for me. So I think you're right. I, I would be shocked if he ends up staying at Ohio State. But I think it is within Ryan Day's character, based off what we've seen, for him to consider the bigger picture and not let his uh, disappointment in his player kind of ruin that relationship even further. Yeah, so Matt, you sort of, you're leading me there, and we, we're going to recap this Akron game, but let's kind of get into it. You and I discussed this a little bit before the pod. Um, you know, Kayvon Pope stormed off last night. Dallas Gant just recently left the program. Marcus Hooker, you, you alluded to it. You did not think that you'd see him on the field. I feel like Ryan Day is starting to take ownership of this program. Ryan Day's ownership of this program, um, whether that's going to be a great thing or a not so great thing, you know, it seems like this season, especially he is not as sort of like open and airy, airy and bubbly with the media and talking to, uh, you know, certain outlets and things like that. Ryan Day seems Definitely businesslike. He seems like a frustrated CEO, if I could describe yeah, it that yeah. way. And we've we've started to see these things with older players where they're getting upset. Maybe they're not on the field. It seems like Ryan Day doesn't care about feelings. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I feel like Ryan Day sees a problem. He is working to solve that problem. And his goal is to win championships. We are going to be the best team or we are going to try and build the best team you know, however that works out. And if that pisses off some of the older guys and they don't play, so be it. If that means I'm putting Kerry Coombs or Kerry Combs up in the box after two games, three games, so be it. You know, he's been at Ohio State for, for it seems like decades. I know he's been kind of in and out, yeah. but it seems like Ryan Day is not going to lose any sleep over hurting feelings. He is going to do what he feels like is best and he's running this program very businesslike. It seems like he was always very jovial, and it's not—he's not going Saban, right? He's not that guy. He's not Belichick. He's not quite there, but he is not the Ryan Day. I don't feel like that we've seen in the past couple of seasons. He seems very goal-oriented and driven to get this program where it needs to be. Is that? Am I sort of making sense, Matt? Is that where you know you were, yeah. your headspace was at, and what we kind of talked about pre-pod? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's he's definitely a different guy um, with the media than he has been in years past. But in fairness, he didn't really have a lot of uh, struggles during the regular season in years past. So perhaps the fact that they struggled against Minnesota, lost to Oregon, and then and then had some some difficulties against Tulsa led to that. But even in the post game press conference after the Akron game, he, man, he did not seem like he was having a lot of fun. I mean, he, he was coming off. Have the you field. seen him happy? Not this season, not at all. I mean, I come on, you're, he's coming off the field in a 59-7 victory, and whoever the guy that looks like George W. Bush, who was on the sideline for the Big Ten Network on Saturday night, started asking him about the performances of his quarterbacks. And, and I'll be honest, like other than the first drive, like they played nearly flawlessly. Both Kyle McCord and Jack Miller looked really good. And he was like, oh, well, we're going to look at the film and – there are some things we got to clean up. It wasn't great, but it wasn't wasn't bad. I was like, dude, you just won fifty nine to seven. 
you can you're allowed to use at least a little bit of intonation in your voice. This doesn't have to be a funeral. It it just looked like something of the joy of doing this job has been taken from Ryan Day. It might have been he was trying not to be all super happy knowing that he just had an entire uh, uh, you know, a player's career blow up on his sideline, and and maybe that's part of it. But he just hasn't been the same guy, and that's fine. He's allowed to change, and it hasn't been like you said, like the grumpy, um, Belichick Saban model where he like picks fights with people for no apparent reason. Like Nick Saban, like wants to yell at the the the, the media members <laughs> for asking completely reasonable questions. It just seems like he is absolutely miserable, and. Obviously, a lot of fans have been miserable this season, but it's just sad because I think one of the things that we heard from the very beginning of Ryan Day's tenure in Columbus, whether that was the offensive coordinator or the or the uh, or the head coach, was how personable he is and how much that his relationships helped with recruiting, how much his relationships helped with coaching, and that still very well might be the case. But it was obvious to see um in the first three seasons we haven't really seen that this year and obviously this has been a much more fraught situation for him um this season so i i feel like that's kind of what we're seeing is we're seeing a joyless ryan day and unfortunately until this game i think that's how he's been coaching um the the mm-hmm. offensive creativity hasn't been there the it, it it looks like he was trying to be the smartest guy in the room um, and I wrote about it. I've written about it each of the last few weeks, actually, before the game in my brutally honest to do list was just like, keep it simple, stupid. Like, do you have the best players? Don't try to play four dimensional chess. Um, just go out there and have, you know, and do the things that you're capable of doing. And to me, that's that kind of connection to joy and um, former uh, hang out in the Holy Land co-host Patrick Mayhorn said it on on Twitter on on Saturday during the game like this is the was the first game and again it's against Akron where Ryan Day just seemed to like get out of Ryan Day's own way and he just called the plays that are going to work and didn't try to do the most complicated thing it was just like okay this is going to work I'm going to do it and that was fun like I realized that might not be as much fun for a play caller but I will tell you the play calling last night and again it was against Akron um, brought me a whole heck of a lot more joy than the play calling has in the first three weeks. So I don't know if those two things go together, but to me, they're related. It just seems like there is a general lack of joy in this season for Ryan Day, and it might have to do with the kind of the, the transitions. It might have to do with the issues, but it certainly does not seem like the same guy showing up, at least to the public parts of his job, than we've seen in the past, you know, what is it, four or five years that he's been in Columbus. Yeah, I think for me, this comes down to confidence. Not that Ryan Day is not a confident individual and a confident coach. I don't think he was confident in his team for good reason coming into the season, right? He didn't have that Justin Fields to fall back on. He didn't have, you know, a Chase Young out there at end playing for him. He didn't have, look, right, wrong, or indifferent the linebackers are a perfect example. We had our gripes about the linebacking core for the last however many years, right? But even if you compare it to last year, at least they knew what they were doing, right? Like <laughs> They might not maybe, have been able to get there to do it, exactly. but they knew how they were doing, yeah. Exactly. They knew their assignment. You know, whether they could do the math problem or not is a different story, but they, they knew like the steps, right? They knew what to enter in the calculator. They knew the assignment. And... 
there is just so much newness on this team. And as an offensive guru, I think the quarterback thing has really, I don't know, taken a toll is probably the, the wrong way to put it, but I think that has probably affected him the most along with the defense. I think that he knew yeah. this defense was going to have missteps and struggles. And then he actually saw it and it was worse than he expected. He was like, wow, yeah. we're lost out there. Our defensive coordinator is potentially lost out there. And I don't have time to worry about that because I'm trying to groom the next great Ohio State quarterback. So I think it's all sort of, uh, you know, taking a toll on him. I hope that this is a good turning point. I still think Ryan Day is an awesome dude. I think he's a great oh, totally. coach. I would rather yeah, have. Yeah. It's just like, dude, let's see you have fun. I miss that Ryan Day a little bit. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's get into this game, Matt. 59-7 over Akron. Ohio State trailed for a hot minute, Ooh, which... Um, that was that was rough right there, man. Yeah, I was like, you know what? That's not a bad sign, but if we win this by like 20 points, I'm going to be upset. But um, yeah. so yeah, Akron took the early lead. DJ Irons did not look great throughout the game, but that kid's athletic, and he gave him some trouble there on the first couple of drives before, yeah. they, before they sort of figured him out. And then 59 nothing from there. Ohio State rolled. You know, I, I guess let's start with the offense. 59 points, um, running game. They were able to rotate a bunch of guys in and out. I think they averaged like eight or nine yards per carry. Those three guys. Kyle McCord, let's start there. What was your overall assessment of Kyle McCord? Because I've been in the McCord hive. I know how I felt well about aware. him pregame and yeah. postgame. Um, but I want to get your unbiased opinion. How would you assess Kyle McCord's performance last night? Well, obviously, that first drive was was rough. rough. I mean, for yes. all of the bad stuff that we've seen from C.J. Stroud this year, which uh, you can determine how much you want to assign to a uh, a damaged or injured or sore shoulder or whatever it is, um, it looked worse from Kyle McCord on that first drive, especially after – Trevion Henderson gets the first carry uh, on the first play and runs for a first down, and then they throw it three times, and it looks like me throwing it out there. Um, so that was not good early. But I, I think Ryan Day did th the right thing on the subsequent drives where he kept it simple. He didn't ask him to go downfield nearly as much as he asked C.J. Stroud all season, which I— I haven't understood all season. Um, he's asking a guy who he knows has some shoulder issues to throw the ball deep as much as he has Justin Fields in previous years. So I haven't got that. Um, but with McCord, we saw him throw short. We saw him throw the screens, which I don't love. I don't even really like them. Um, they were maybe successful once. I think there was one big play that they got off of those screens, but other ones that looked more like yeah, they were Matt, potential interceptions. Those, those screens work really well. When you have Terry McLaurin, yeah. Johnny Dixon, Paris Campbell type blockers out there, I'm with you. I, I just, I hated the screens. I just had, I felt the need in my chest to sort of jump in. I couldn't be more on board with you because I don't think we have those guys. But no, not but yet. I, I, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but then we also like I thought at the beginning of the season, and I wrote about this, and and maybe even had it in a prediction article or something. But like, I thought we would see a lot more of the Dwayne Haskins style offense this year with the crossing routes and the mesh routes, and uh, and getting the ball out of his hands, you know, really quickly with this wide receiving core. Like, why the the, the longer you drop back, 
the more risk you take. Um, so get it out of the quarterback's hands. And I thought that's what we would see with C.J. Stroud. Um, and it wasn't. We saw more of the Justin Fields offense. But it felt more like with Kyle McCord last night that we saw more of those quick hitters. We saw him get rid of the ball more quickly. Um, and and I thought that was great. I mean, with a young quarterback, that's what you want to do. Um, Kyle obviously had, you know, pretty good numbers after that first drive. I think he was like uh, 11 of 13 on the subsequent drives. Granted, I think the last throw that he saw before he got pulled from the game was an interception. But I mean, he had he was 13 of 18 for 319 yards. And again, tons of yak there, tons of yards mm-hmm. after catch. But I, that I'm not mad about that. I mean, that's that's the whole point of having this wide receiving core get the ball in their hands and let them be the best wide receiving core in the country, which I think they can be when they've got a quarterback. So, um, if we're talking just about Kyle McCord, he did what you want a freshman, inexperienced quarterback to do against the Akron defense, and I, I have you know, was he perfect? Of, of course not. Um, was he great? Nah. He was on the borderline of good and great, I thought, um, of what you would expect to to see in this game. So I, I don't have a ton to be upset about. But the thing that I think we take away the most from this is that he threw the ball 18 times. Those are the first 18 times that he's ever thrown the ball in college. And that's a huge deal. And that for Jack Miller as well, he didn't throw it 18 times. But like the fact that they got time, that's the first time that backup quarterbacks have thrown a pass for Ohio State since 2019. That just let that sink yeah. in. Like wow. that is that is nuts, and that is a good thing for the future of this team, especially if C.J. Stroud is never one hundred percent this season, which he may or may not be. We have we have no idea. Yeah, I don't know if I really learned anything from this game, and yeah. that's not that's on the offense, of, especially. Yeah, that's sort of what happens when you play Akron. I thought that. I, I'm with you. You know, Kyle McCord looked nerves would be an understatement. That first series, uh, three bad balls out of the gate. The one I don't think would have counted as a passing attempt. That was probably yeah. maybe a fumble. I it don't know a, how they would have turned that. Yeah, I think it was a fumble out of bounds. Yeah. But um, then it looked like he settled down. You're right. Ryan Day sort of led him into some easier things. And then he looked much more settled the rest of the game. He made a bad decision trying to get the ball to Cade Stover. That turned into an interception. Mm-hmm. That's an experience. I don't take anything away from that either. I I wish we would have been able to see him rip it a little bit more. You know, they've talked about his arm strength and they didn't really need to test it. They didn't really try out the deep ball too much, but they it kind of goes hand in hand. You can't get too crazy with your playbook with a first time starter. So I thought they managed it how they needed to. I just wish we would have seen something else out of Kyle McCord's game. Like I said, rip it. I want to see those deep outs, those deep crossers, some deep balls, things like that. But I I will say that if he continues to make appearances, whether that's in place of an injured CJ Stroud or an effective CJ Stroud at some point, I at least have confidence that he can go out there and do it now. So Mm -hmm. it was good to see that. I don't think that what we saw last night is enough for him to supplant CJ Stroud. But as a fan of his, I I also don't think that we really saw any of the negatives last night. You take away those, that first series and he looked really good. And that's, I mean, he's a true freshman, at least Jack Miller and CJ Mm -hmm. Stroud. They've got a year plus in the program. So completely different for him. And uh, 
you know, moving forward, if he has to come into the game or make another start, I'm okay with that. Uh, you said we, I don't think we learned any, or you agreed that we didn't really learn much else from the rest of the offense. I'm with you on that as well. We ran the ball effectively, not a surprise. I'm yeah. glad that they got Mayan Williams and Master Teague both in the game. Travion Henderson just continues to look like I'm not going to throw Heisman candidate out I there. Will. Uh, I will. Okay. Okay. I, I will say because here's the thing. I said it last night on Twitter and it pissed people off and it was probably, and I'll admit this here because not everyone's going to see it that saw it on Twitter. Um, I was probably um, a little bit of a prisoner of the moment when I said, like, I don't need to see Kyle McCord throw anymore. Um, and that was an exaggeration. I'm a little hyperbolic on the Twitter. But um, if Ohio State does get back into the playoff race, I think it's going to be on the back of Travion Henderson. And that no, doesn't. Uh, yeah. So if if you tell me that Ohio State wins out here and they go into um, the the bowl season or the playoff season at at twelve and one and winning a Big Ten championship, that tells me that Travion Henderson is probably at at least fifteen to sixteen hundred yards rushing and a ton of touchdowns. Now, is that enough to get him into New York as a true freshman? I don't know, but I think by that point he will be in the conversation. I think he will be a top ten candidate for the Heisman if that happens. And I don't think I've seen anything this season when they've actually used him that tells me that there's any reason not to think that that is possible. I mean, he's averaging, he came into the game averaging like 9.6 yards a carry. And last night, even though he only had eight rushes for 93 yards, that was 11.6 yards per carry. So I, I think if they use him like I think they are going to the remainder of the season, I don't think there is any reason to doubt that he has the ability, um, if Ohio State continues to make improvements in other areas, to be the force that carries Ohio State back into the Big Ten and playoff races. I think that's still a pretty big ask for this Ohio State team. Uh, I don't want to get too far out over our skis because of a game against Akron. But if Ohio State does turn this around, I would I I, I mean I, I would I would not be shocked if Travion Henderson gets an invite to New York. Yeah, you know, you may have swayed me a little bit because I was also thinking about this as you were talking. If not him, who else is sort of what I'm starting to totally. move towards because we've seen um, DJ at Clemson. They're now two and two. Their offense is a dumpster fire. Sam Howell at North Carolina Dude, was mentioned preseason. Sam Howe, as in like H-O-W, is this this bad because they're really <laughs> not very good. Sorry, that was awful. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, North Carolina is not nearly the team that people thought they might be. And Spencer Rattler, you know, Oklahoma keeps escaping by the skin of their teeth, but I mean, he has he not impressed booed. me. He got booed in Norman last night. Like, that's not, that's no bueno there. That's bad. Yeah. Well, and I thought he was overhyped coming into the season. And, you know, if I can just kind of trumpet my own horn, he's sort of proven that a little bit. So, um, yeah, maybe Travion Henderson does creep his way up there because I could not agree more that I do think that Ohio State rides him to whatever success that they are going to have. I think he has established himself as the guy on this offense. And, um, you know, the one thing I guess we can talk about on that offense as well is the offensive line. Granted, it was against Akron, but they looked really good. And I think they've looked pretty good throughout the season. The rushing numbers have not always been there maybe yards per carry, things like that. But I think that once those guys 
once we get there, Mumford back, I think those guys really, they ate last night. They dominated Akron up front. There was the viral clip of Dewan Jones, like throwing somebody out <laughs> was, of the universe. That was awesome. That They've was got great. big, strong dudes up there. They're starting to mesh together. So yeah, yeah. You, you know, it, if Travion Henderson is behind that unit, he could be destined for a lot of success. Yeah, and I thought what was really interesting as I'm looking at the snap counts from Pro Football Focus here is um, the guys who played the most last night were the starting offensive linemen. Um, they had mm-hmm. the most snaps. Um, Matthew Jones actually looks like he played with the ones and the twos because uh, he led um, everybody on the offense in terms of, of snaps. But then right behind him are, is... Uh, Luke Whipler, Paris Johnson Jr., Dewan Jones, and Nicholas Petit Frere. Um, and then you've got Kyle McCord and Olave Wilson, uh, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Um, and so it looks like they are trying to build some cohesiveness with this offensive line, um, which has been difficult because of the absence of Harry Miller and then the, uh, the absence of Thayer Munford. I have no idea what's going on with Harry Miller. And correct me if I'm wrong, and I said this in our Slack last night, I feel like the, the beat guys who were there uh at practice to do some interviews uh, they didn't get to watch practice but they, i think they said that harry miller was practicing this week again with all of the guys that we saw that were inactive against akron like it makes sense that you don't want to rush a guy back to play against akron if he's right. close sit him out this game play him for rutgers next week i get that but like it seems like they are trying to get this team as healthy as possible and a lot of that starts with the offensive line they've done well this year i think in pass protection um, I thought that they'd struggled at times in run blocking, which just boggles my mind. But it seems like they're starting to turn the corner over these last two weeks. Again, inferior opponents. But there were some pretty nasty holes last night. Uh, I think there was one where um, where Master Teague ran through it. I mean, it felt like he could have driven a bus through it. So if we are able to see something similar to that moving forward, uh, obviously to a lesser degree as the uh, opponent's increase in ability level throughout the big 10 season. Um, I think, I think this offensive line and Travion Henderson could just dominate games. And then you don't need Stroud to be Justin Fields. Um, And if you can rely on the running game, you know, we've seen Ryan day do that. I mean, we've, he's always had good quarterbacks here, but like, you know, he's, he's turned to JK Dobbins in the past. So, Trey Sermon against Northwestern, yeah, prime example. Exactly. So, like, I think there is reason for, like, I, like you said, I don't know that we learned a ton from this, especially about personnel. But I think the, the things that we probably can take away is where the coach's mindset is or coach's mindsets are um, about some personnel in terms of groupings, in terms of rotation, in terms of philosophy moving forward. Because despite all of the issues like I feel like we have seen some changes in terms of that um, since the Oregon loss on both sides of the ball and again you want to temper these because of who they played but like I think you can still see some adjustments being made um, that you hope that they can carry forward as the competition increases because despite the fact that at the beginning of the season we thought ah well their first two Big Ten games after that first stretch uh, are Rutgers and Maryland those will be easy wins like don't look now, but like Rutgers and Maryland are actually pretty good. So yeah, I, yeah. So like, I think that these next two games are going to tell us a whole lot. And if Ohio state is only made changes that are smoke and mirrors and actually haven't made any improvements, I, I think they could be in danger of dropping either of these games. But if they've, if these changes that we've seen these last two weeks 
are actually substantive. Um, I think that these could be really, really important get back games. So I don't know if we want to spend more time talking about the offense or what those changes are, but I, I think that they're pretty obvious. I mean, I think the focus on the running game, I think the solidification of the rotation in terms of of, of how they are doing the, the, the you know, the, that running back position, the, the solidification of the offensive line in terms of playing together with this weird four guard or uh, four tackle offensive line. I think that's big. I think the play calling changes have been big. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, did we learn a lot? No, but I think we got some, you know, some more information that will be very useful moving forward. Yeah, and I'll just sort of try and wrap a bow on the offense. I think that the Harry Miller thing is weird. I get that Ryan Day is cagey about in- injuries. Just totally. You don't have to tell us what. Just say, hey, he's banged up. It's yeah. just weird. It, it, it bugs me a little bit, but I think the offensive line looks great. I do think that they're going to lean on the run game. I actually think that, look, Master Teague's going to provide some sort of value. Same with Mayan Williams. I wouldn't be upset if they ran the ball 30, 40 times a game be a running offense, totally I'll live fine. with that all day because I think this offensive line is that good and will get better. And then just, you know, if they switch to the, more of a run-based offense, we've started to see it. Look, I don't think that this is the senior season that Jeremy Ruckert and Chris Olave anticipated. So I'm sort of bummed for them. You know, I nobody mm-hmm. is upset with a 59-7 to 7 victory. And we saw at least Chris Olave, you know, uh, great mood on the sideline with his guys being a leader. I am sort of bummed for him that he's gotten two catches for 12 yards in the last two games. But um, look, everyone knows how special he is. Yeah. If we need that pass game, those playmakers are out there. Those are your those are your cherry on top. That's your secret weapon. Let's figure that out. But uh, but yeah, offense looked good. Let's move on. Another unit that looked good, the Ohio State defense. I thought that... Talker. (laughs) Yeah, based on what we saw the first three weeks, I think there was a real concern coming into this one. Gene and I talked about if if Ohio State gave up more than 20 points, I was actually going to be down a co-host. Gene was done, uh, maybe with the Ohio State program altogether, so I'm glad that we'll have him back in some capacity. But um, look... First drive was sketchy. There are still some things with misdirection, um, pre-snap motion, and if you you run like a stack set on one side, Ohio State still struggles with, with certain things like handing off assignments and switching, almost like in basketball. If you have a couple yeah. of their defenders going at the same point, I get concerned, but they figured some things out and they really got after the quarterback. In that sense, I don't even care if it's Akron. Akron had some huge tackles. I did not look at uh, sort of their stats, but they're right. Their left tackle looked massive. I know they're not a good football team, but that, that's neither here nor there. They looked aggressive. They blitzed, you know, a couple of handfuls of times, yeah. but the defensive line looked like they wanted to go out there and tear some heads off. And that's what I've been waiting for. Haskell Garrett had three sacks. Tylee Williams had two. I want to talk about him. But just in general, they looked really aggressive. They looked really hyped up. And, you know, we saw the effect that that had. When the defensive line plays well, the rest of the team looks better. We didn't 
you know, I was looking back through our slack and like, we didn't piss and moan about the linebackers. Maybe that was because we had T Mitchell and Cody Simon out there for the majority yeah. of it, but at least until Cody got you know, hurt. Yeah. Right. And hopefully he's not too banged up, but they looked better by proxy. The secondary continued to look solid. They weren't as much of a, a huge concern, but I th- it all starts up front for me. They played really well, and I think subsequently the rest of the unit looked a heck of a lot better. Matt, where are you at? Well, I think the thing that you said, there are two things that you said uh, in tandem that, that to me is the difference not only in last night's game, but also needs to be the difference not only for the defensive line, but for the entire defense and the entire team moving forward. And that was aggression and energy. Um, I've been that's my aggression has been my key word all season. I, I haven't seen that from the play calling. I haven't seen that from the players. Um, it, a little bit of, of, you know, paralysis by analysis going on with them trying to overthink everything, whether that's players or coaches. Last night, we didn't see that. You're right. We did see some blitzes and I'm sure we can get we'll get eventually some stats on um, how how much blitzing they actually did. But they were able to get pressure just because of their defensive front last night without having to bring in linebackers or corners or safeties or whatever other kind of exotic blitzes they wanted to use. Again, they're playing an inferior offensive line. But even, I mean, honestly, they've been playing inferior offensive lines entire season except for against Oregon. And they haven't even sniffed any kind of pressure just because of their defensive line. And just the fact that they seemed more engaged, seemed more um, fiery, seemed more energetic was a huge positive for me from this defensive line. You can't necessarily expect them to do this against literally anybody else on their schedule the rest of the year. But what we saw in terms of their their get off, in terms of their their first step, in terms of that swarming to the defense that we saw. I mean, even times where you know we we kind of make fun of the pro football focus pressure stats because last year Ohio State led the country, and I don't even think it was all that close in terms of pressure uh, pressure grades and pressure stats. Uh, but they could never get a sack, and it really didn't mean anything. Last night, we saw, even even though they had nine sacks, there were a number of other times where it felt like there were three or four guys surrounding DJ Irons. Yes. And just because he's a, a competent running quarterback, he was able to get out of it and pick up two or three yards. I am like that is a good pressure stat for me like that is a positive just because you get a guy in the backfield and he steps up and makes a 30 yard throw that means nothing to me but even on the times where they didn't get sacks it just like there were guys rallying to the ball they were trying uh not trying of course they were trying but I mean like they were they were impacting the play and um I think that was a positive and and you know you talked about the linebackers um we can. I don't know if we want to move on from from them yet, but like they also seem to be a part of that mix. Where in the past we have seen them be almost statues because they didn't know what they were doing. They played with a purpose, much like the defensive line did. They played with energy, and I think for the most part um, they were pretty successful. And we can get into them more in depth. But I felt like those two units, which have kind of been the biggest issues on defense this season, because I think the secondary hasn't hasn't been perfect by any means, but especially uh, the corners have been pretty solid. Um, but I felt like those were the two groups that needed to have a get-right game, and I think they had it. And hopefully they can take some stuff from this and move forward and, and be at least some semblance of a type of unit that Ohio State fans can recognize. Yeah, I, I don't have a ton to add, but the one thing that you brought up that I really liked was the pressure kind of the pressure mentioned, the pressure stat. 
you're right. All pressures are not created equal. If a, if a quarterback is pressured by one guy and he's able to step up in the pocket, well, then that pressure is no more. But you're right. There was a collective pressure. There were, gosh, I think it was late in the game, but there was a play. Yeah, it was Tyleek Williams when he just, he swallowed. And I don't know if DJ Irons was still in the game or they had brought in their backup, but it seems like all four down linemen could have been credited with a quarter of a sack. Like they all uh, came forward, produced that pressure. So yeah, I like that. I thought it was a collective pressure. I thought all of the guys really stood out, whether they got, you know, into the, into the stat books or not with a sack. And the, the one guy that I just really want to bring up is I think Tyleek Williams looks really good. Yeah. I think he plays with a ton of energy. He is fast and he may have Wally pipped Teron Vincent, in my opinion. Now, there were other guys, and he didn't start. Um, you know, Antoine Jackson and Jerron Cage, they look good too, and they're, yeah. they're experienced guys. But I think Tyler Williams is the exciting defensive lineman that we have not seen on the field a ton until recently. And, you know, I, I like Teron Vincent. He seems like a great kid. He came in as this great high five-star recruit, but whether it's injury or effectiveness, he hasn't produced period. Um, And I thought he looked fine the first couple of games when he was healthy. So that may be a situation where we see a lot more Tyleek Williams and a lot less of Teron Vincent. That's just a guess on my part. But um, from that group, I thought that he looked really good. You know, linebackers, let's get into it. Probably their best game of the season, even though they didn't have to do a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. That's what I'd prefer to see. I'd like to see your guys up front, um, you know, get pressure, make the quarterback uncomfortable back there, maybe get some a couple tackles for loss, and then your DBs. The, the linebackers, to me, especially when you're playing with two of them, they're your cleanup guys and they're assignment guys. Yeah. Be there in the middle, which is, you know, it sounds kind of silly to say, but that's where they play for a reason. Cody Simon's a good athlete. Um, having him out there added an element that I don't think Toppy, Tommy Eichenberg brought to the field. I think him and him and Taraja Mitchell, they were running around. They were trying to make plays. Uh, Taraja Mitchell still concerns me. Like he's a wild man out there, and yeah. that's a good thing to have. But I, I do not want to see him get hurt. He is a heat-seeking missile sometimes in the worst way. Like head down going after a guy. So I want to see him harness that. I love his energy. I love what he plays with, but I think it's clearly evident that if we have those two guys on the field at the same time, we have got our two most athletic linebackers. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I've been writing that since the beginning of the season. Like I, I, in fact, I feel like when you and I did the last time we did a hangout in the Holy land together uh, during the, during the off season, I talked about how, I thought that by the end of the regular season, we'd have a majority underclassmen starting on defense. Uh, I feel there. I feel like we're pretty much there at this point. And how Cody Simon has not been a starter from the beginning of the season. Again, Tommy Eichenberg, I think also technically a an underclassman, um, despite the fact that I think he might actually be tough Borland with a fake mustache or something. Um, <laughs> I, you know, look, Cody Simon needs to be on the field. There, there just is no question. Taraja Mitchell has been here forever, and honestly, you know, when you when you coming into the season, him, Kayvon Pope and Dallas Gantt were the guys you're like, 
are any of these guys going to step up? I feel like Taraja Mitchell, obviously, considering he's probably the only one left in the program, is the guy that you need there in the middle just because of the experience. You want him to do that. I still have some issues with his tackling ability. But like like you said, he is an energetic guy who seems to be the old school Ohio State linebacker where he's got to kind of he'll have assignments on certain plays. But there's other times when he's kind of got carte blanche to go make plays. I am totally mm-hmm. fine with that. You put him and Cody Simon in the middle, and then you figure out whatever the heck is going on with that bullet slot corner, whatever they're calling it. Um, I mean, we saw Craig Young in the game um, on on Saturday night. I'm not exactly sure where they technically are having him, you know, put on the I roster in terms of position. I does. I, yeah. I think the bullet slash safety slash slot, like, those three things are also a position. So, I, yeah, that yeah, I'm with you. I don't know what to call that sort of makeup, but I, I I'm getting there. I'm starting to like yeah. it. Yeah, and but I like the flexibility it offers, you know. And and because we saw Craig Young play 15 snaps last night, I think I I would like to see him play a little bit more. But you saw Craig Young play 15 snaps. Uh, let me go through here. You saw Court Williams play 25 snaps, which is awesome. I love seeing that. Um, and then, of course, you saw Ronnie Hickman have a phenomenal game, um, you know, with that just like, look what I found, Harry Houdini type of interception. Uh, he had 41 snaps last night. So like those three guys are the guys we expected to be the bullet this year. So if they're combining for that and I think all playing pretty solid games, I mean, Court Williams didn't stick out to me a ton, but he played 25 snaps, which is is pretty good when you are essentially one third of a position. So. What that's not always considered a linebacker position, but it, it works in that flow. And I thought the linebackers were pretty solid, but we can't talk about the linebackers without oh, talking about without talking about one Steel Chambers, who I have said should not be on the field. Gene has said should not be on the field. I know. Um, again, caveat: it was Akron, but I'm fine saying I was wrong. I'm wrong literally more times than I'm right, and he looked good. I mean, he looked strong. He looked competent. He looked athletic. Um, I don't know if he can do any of that against even Rutgers next week. But in terms of the change to linebacker, okay, I buy it. I'm in. Like, this is not a, a gimmick. This is not, this is like, I think, you know, he's still got plenty of time left on this team uh, if he decides to stay, obviously. So I'm, I'm on board with him being a linebacker now. Yeah, the thing about the linebackers for me is it seems like they have settled on, look, they're all going to have, you know, their missteps and their mistakes as players or as starters or guys on the field. They're all young, right? Taraja Mitchell's not young, but as a starter and as a player on the field, he is. I think that they've accepted that and they're like, look, how do we put them in the best position? But then even more so, how do we put those athletes in the best position? These guys are athletes. And that's what they did last night. They, it was see ball, get ball. They ran around. There were even a couple missed assignments, especially from Steel Chambers. I saw him sort of go the wrong direction on a couple of different plays that stood out. But you said it. Other than that, he looked good. He was swarming to the ball. As a converted running back, we know that he's got the speed and the athleticism to get there. So it's sort of like, hey look, if you guys are going to make mistakes, we want you to be fast enough to make up for them or, you know, uh, exactly. or catch somebody else's mistake. So it seems like they're just trying to put playmakers out there. And it's different from what we saw earlier. 
this is not a knock against Tommy Eichenberg, but you know, the coaches wanted him out there. They seemed intent on having them out there. And it's funny. We joked about it in our Slack, like PFF graded him really well last week. He played 53 snaps and didn't have a tackle. So it seems like maybe the coaches have decided, look, you were a really intelligent, disciplined football player, but you're what we need right now, but your lack of athleticism doesn't make up for the other things. Yeah. Like it's not what they need right now. If they were playing a traditional four, three, I think you could stick Tommy in the middle and he would probably be really effective for you, but that's not the defense that they're running. And he's not flanked by a Bryant Browning and a Pete Werner. That's probably the whole reason that tough Borland, we've made that comp was able to stay on the field. and look good at times during certain games if you put tough Borland in this two linebacker setup, he'd be off the field too. Yeah. So Gosh. it's just a matter of your, <laughs> it's a, <laughs> what's that? No, um, it's a matter of your skill set, And, you know, as sort of an offshoot of that, I I'm with you. I don't know what this bullet nickel slot position is, but I'm really starting to like the guys that they put out there. I, I'm yeah. developing a crush on Ronnie Hickman. He is not a perfect football player yet. No, uh, He's still really young, but he is a playmaker. And to me, he's not a linebacker. He's a DB that they sometimes call a yeah. bullet. He's, yeah, he's a but safety. Like, he is, I, I don't want to put this on him, but he is a playmaker that I don't feel like we've seen since Malik Hooker. Now, Jordan Fuller, for example, was a hell of a safety. He is now a second-year captain for the Los Angeles Rams. So cool. But he was a, a disciplined, nowhere-to-be kind of guy. He could make plays, but Malik Hooker could make plays. And I feel like that's what we're seeing from Ronnie Hickman. He he may not always be in the right place at the right time, but he can go and get a ball. That, that interception, you're right, it was sort of fluky. But he was in the position, and then he was able to catch the ball. Yeah, and that, then he took off. Yeah, it might have been a fluke that it happened the way it did, but like the sheer hand-eye coordination to be able to pull that off, and to make to you know you're going. He was going for a tackle. The ball bounces off the receiver. He's able to corral it, and not only just make the catch, but then seemingly in stride make the catch turn, you know, continue to turn his body around the defender and then race in for a touchdown. So like my thing has been all season. If your defense is going to make mistakes, I would rather the defense make mistakes with young people on the field. Uh, And I feel like that's what we're starting to see. And again, you don't want to try to put too much weight on a game against literally one of the three worst teams in FBS. But This is the reason why, because with these young guys, you anticipate their ability to get better, to be at a higher rate because they just they will get better with experience where the older guys, they have more experience, so they probably won't get as better. But also we we know that especially on the defense, the 2018 and 2019 recruiting classes haven't really panned out. So you expect the the 2020 and the 2021 guys who really haven't had an opportunity to get on the field but come in with huge numbers in terms of athleticism, like you just expect that they are going to have that talent and skill set and potential that when given the opportunity, 
they can make things happen. And I think that's what we're starting to see. And I feel like this is the biggest change. Talked about some of the stuff we've seen on offense where like, okay, they're starting to figure things out. That's the change for me on defense is they are getting out of the way of the young guys, putting the younger, more talented players in positions to make uh, to make plays and not trying to overload them by worrying about responsibilities. Yes, of course, this is defensive football. They're going to have responsibilities. They're going to have schemes that they have to account for. They have all of that stuff, but it's not necessarily about the scheme anymore. It's about their talent. And I think that's kind of goes to what you were saying about Tommy Eichenberg. Like if you are going to run a scheme assignment, you know, really intricate, um, high level defense, he's the guy you probably want in the middle of that linebacking core. If you're going to let guys go out there and be freak athletes and make plays, he probably doesn't fit that anymore. So that to me is what I saw. And, And you're right. Ronnie Hickman is the prime example of that. Because he's out there making plays. Denzel Burke is out there making plays. They're going to make mistakes and they're going to blow coverages and they're going to screw things up at times. But I'm okay with that because of what they bring on the other side uh, of the spectrum. Yeah, I wish, gosh, maybe and maybe you can confirm. I think it was Meredith who wrote something on Land Grant about the death of the traditional linebacker. Yep. I, was that- yeah, it was Meredith. Yeah, Meredith Hine, one of our longest tendered. Her her and uh, Brett Ludwigzak are our two longest tenured writers here, and they've got some insight that uh, that that is, should not be ignored when they put up a column. Yeah, I, I think that she nailed it. You know, this there is still room for the traditional linebacker, but the game is moving away from that, and that's what a Tommy Eichenberg is. And that's what a tough Borland was. And that's just, there's a spot at certain times, but Ohio State is, I feel like maybe it's a, a change from Coombs or not. I always say Coombs, Combs or I get, not. It's a double O. The double O is confusing. Yeah. At least I'm catching it. Yeah. But, um, I, and I don't know if this was tied to him or not, but they're like, hey, we're going to put the athletes out there. I look at arguably the best linebacker in the country, Will Anderson at Alabama. He is one of the fastest guys on their team. And that is a team with um, John Mechie and Jamison Williams, Williams. former Buckeye, who had a billion total yards last night. Good for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome for him. And, you know, like I said, Will Anderson's one of the fastest guys on their team, and he's the best linebacker arguably in the country. Ohio State needs to put their athletes out there. But I I feel Mm -hmm. like we've sort of covered that, and we're in total agreement there. That leaves one unit, and... I only have one thing to say. Well, I have two things to say about the secondary in this game. One is that I, I have nothing to say about most of the players because we didn't need to rely on them. Yeah. I think that they have been a steady presence. Yes, they gave up a lot of yards against Tulsa. I think a lot of that was assignment football and blown coverages. I'm willing to look past it. Number two, Demario McCall. I mean, got out there. At the, Garbage time. I don't care. And it was against Akron. He looked like a real cornerback and I loved it. He's been at Ohio state for a decade. He's now on like his fourth position. Um, he's the I, baseball player that's done everything except for pitch. Yeah. And um, I think he's got three PhDs at this point. He's been there so long. Yeah. Yeah. But he looked really good. Like he had a couple of pass breakups that the, the one that I loved is, um, you know, running with the wide receiver, back to the quarterback ball is in the air he turns it 
we've seen a lot of Ohio State cornerbacks, and it's frustrated me yeah. at times. They never turn around. They don't get their head turned around to look at the ball. He did it. Like he looked like a real corner, and I don't know if it means anything moving forward. Probably but not. I was just, I was really happy to see it, and he he actually played well. And so, it's one of those things like, hey, if you need to throw somebody in there, guess who, guess who at least knows what they're doing, and can run with somebody else on the other team. Maybe that's Demario McCall as the season goes along. But other than that, I don't have a whole lot to say about the secondary. I think that Denzel Burke is one of the best players on this defense right now. And that's not hyperbole from me. I think that he no. truly is one of the top three or four guys on the defense. So um, yeah. another study, steady game from them. We did get to see Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson, though, on the field. Mm-hmm. That was a plus two. And I, and I think the one thing we do have to mention is the other guy we got to see on defense was Seven Banks. And he this was his first action um, since. Did he? Well, I, wait, has he played at all this year? Oh, I'm sorry. He played some in the Tulsa game. That's right. He got in against Tulsa. Um, I don't know. They they mentioned that he was in the doghouse. Like, I guess that's a possibility. And maybe the broadcast team knew more than we know. Um, I don't think he had necessarily a great game. Um, but what I think is good is I personally think that Denzel Burke and Cam Brown are your starting corners. You're starting mm-hmm. outside corners. And... Um, if, if Seven Banks is also in that mix, I think that's good with his experience. He is not going to be the first-round talent that a lot of people projected him to be, and I think that was just because Ohio State starting corner default to first-round draft pick. Um, right. But I think it's good to have that depth. It's good to have that experience. Um, I don't think Seven Banks is a bad player. He's not one of these veteran guys who I think shouldn't be getting much playing time. I think he should be in the mix. Um, so it was nice to see him get some time. He was one of the four defensive players who led the team with 42 snaps. It was him, Denzel Burke, Lathan Ransom, and Cam Martinez. Um, so I think that was good to have him out there. I would prefer to see Denzel Burke and Cam Brown start when all is all are healthy. But I think having him out there and in the mix is, is a positive um, for this team and their pass defense moving forward. If for nothing else, that I think he brings a little bit different skill set, maybe perhaps a little bit more refined than those other two guys. And if you're in a situation where you need that, you know, maybe increase his his snaps. But um, I, I agree that I think Denzel Burke should not come off the field other than for, you know, normal rotational purposes. And when Cameron Brown is, is healthy, like I think he he deserves to be out there, too. But I, I think this was encouraging um, to see the veteran guy, Seven Banks, who we thought would be the number one going into the season, at least out of the doghouse or healthy enough, whichever the case may be, uh, to put in you know a team-leading number of plays. So I think that's good for the depth and the health of the secondary moving forward. Yeah, I'm glad you brought him up. I, um, it was early in the game, and I think seven banks got exposed on a play or two. I think one was a mm-hmm. missed tackle. And then uh, he kind of, he kind of fell down in the coverage. It was a stumble to be fair to him, but then you didn't really hear about him. And sometimes that's the best thing to get from one of your cornerbacks. Yeah. That means that the guy that he is trying to lock down is locked down. So, you know, I'm not a all 22 guy. I would have to look. He may have played a really good game because we didn't hear from him. So I'm glad that you brought that up. He may be on his way to getting back, maybe not to where 
he's going to be a, a future first round NFL draft pick. I think all along those expectations were yeah, very lofty, but he might be on his way back through either health or playing time to being a real contributor. So um, great point by you. I, I think that to have him in your arsenal is only a positive, whether he's starting or not. So yeah. that was another guy out there. Um, all in all, though, I'm just, as we sort of wrap this up and put a bow on it, I'm really pleased with the game. It, I don't know that we learned a lot, but we saw a lot. And I think that those are two very different things. I think that we saw young guys get experience who hadn't previously done so. And we saw young guys out there who look like they are going to be the guys or part of the main rotation going forward. So this was really, if you think about it, this was Ohio State's second opportunity to try and figure things out, right? They, you can't throw things against the wall on paper against Minnesota, even though they lost to Bowling Green last night. That does not look great for us. But hmm. first it's game a- of the season... And, and, and no out. Mo Eber. They didn't have Mo. They don't have Mo Ibrahim yeah. anymore either. So I think that's really the differentiating factor there. Yeah, you're you're, you're right. That's that's not the same team. Um, but week one, you couldn't throw anything out there. You had to go with what you thought was your safest game plan. Then we go up against an Oregon team that looks pretty good. I mean, they're probably going to be third in the country uh, if I had to guess. And then look against Tulsa, things didn't go very well. But we had sort of flipped it. This was game number two in my opinion, as far as the development and moving forward. So hopefully we can build on this. I think it was a good start. Um, It was a big improvement from the Tulsa game. And all in all, I'm really pleased with what we saw last night against Akron in a 59-7 victory. Yeah, I I think that this is the type of game that Ohio State should play against Akron. So while it was against a not very good team, they won like they were playing a not very good team. And everybody, if you look down the stat lines, everybody had a really good game. They got a ton of people in. They got a ton of people time. They got some very valuable experience and some knowledge, I think, from from this game, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, So I think you can come away from this game saying this was an unmitigated success and you pretty much got everything you could have possibly gotten out of it given the circumstances of the season and the opponent. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. We're in, uh, we're in lockstep on that one. And, and my final thought is this too. I, I'm not ready to say that this was everything that Ohio State needed to get back in the national championship picture. I don't, I, I don't think that they're there yet. I'm not saying they can't get there. But when you look at the landscape of college football, to me, it's Alabama and everyone else. And maybe we can get into that everyone else conversation. Then er everything's on the table. But you just look at what happened yesterday and last night. I mean, Iowa had risen to number five. They barely eked one out against Colorado State. Colorado State is not a good football team. And they lost to Vanderbilt. Colorado State lost to Vanderbilt and then was leading in Iowa City at halftime. This season is cuckoo loo. It it is. And that's what gives Ohio State a chance. You know, Texas A&M has not looked great. They finally fell to Arkansas yesterday. 
Iowa State, who I always thought was overrated, lost to Baylor. Clemson is now two and two. Um, gosh, even in the Big Ten, it looks fine on paper. Penn State beat Villanova, but I mean, Villanova was an FBS or an FCS team as of like a handful of years ago. I think they're football team, obviously. Um, so yeah, you can look at it and say that Sean Clifford threw for 400 yards, but you know, Penn State didn't cover the spread. They, they should have destroyed Villanova. And so, and gosh, Wisconsin, yuck. So <laughs> at the very least, Ohio State is still a favorite or co-favorite in the Big Ten to me. And then we go from there. That's all we need to be concerned with right now. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a one step at a time situation. If you were undefeated uh, as an Ohio State player or coach, I think you know we could be fine thinking about the big picture in the national championship and the college football playoff. They're not undefeated. They've given up the right to be in the default conversation for that. But mm-hmm. if they continue to improve and they take care of business in conference. They absolutely have the opportunity to get back in there. I, I'm not sure that I've seen enough to let make me think that they can survive a gauntlet of Michigan state who also struggled on, on Saturday against a, a, a pretty game Nebraska team, um, Michigan state, Michigan, Penn state, um, even Rutgers and Maryland throwing them in there. Um, you know, they, We'll see when they play those teams, but I'm, you know, I'm a lot more optimistic seeing the changes we saw against Akron than I was going into the game. Great. And that's, I think the best way to sort of close it out is optimism. I think that we and Ohio state fans and everyone else, we should have optimism about this team moving forward a heck of a lot more than we had in the previous two weeks. So That's where I'm at. Matt, that's a great way to uh, sort of send us off. But For Matt Tamanini, I'm Josh Dooley. This has been The Hangout in the Holy Land. Don't forget to go follow us. Uh, Follow Land Grant Holy Land as well. Check out our website. Check Check out all of our followers there. And we are at Holy Land Pod. Gene and I will try to be active on there. Hit us with your questions, concerns, anything like that that we can address on future pods. But uh, for Matt and myself, go Bucks.